From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by Educative.io. Now, there are a lot of websites out there that help you teach programming courses, but one thing most of them tend to do is focus on video, so they're all video-based. Educative.io takes a very different approach. Uh, to them, they go the text-based route. That means you don't necessarily have to like scrub back and forth to follow along, say, you know, you're going through a video and someone just blows past a certain section and then you're going back wait 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 what did they say exactly and you rewind then open up a notepad to take notes you don't have to do any of that with educative.io because it's text-based think of it as like almost reading a book if you're reading a book it's pretty easy to skim back uh, or double back and just easily skim through in addition to a, a whole bunch of amazing courses out there here's the kicker if you're an android developer they just launched a killer android course called modern android app development it's perfect just go back refresh your memory and go through the educative course it has a fully functional live android emulator so you can actually create and deploy your app right from within the course you'll get a live link to the app that you can share with friends or even you know put up on your portfolio if you start looking for jobs Check it out now and get an additional 10% off your purchase if you go through this special link, educative.io slash fragmented. Once again, that's educative.io, E-D-U-C-A-T-I-V-E, in case you didn't catch the spelling, educative.io slash fragmented. Thanks again for sponsoring this show, Educative. Kaushik, I can only imagine that given the circumstance of all of us being at home and this whole grocery delivery business that your life as an engineer at one of these grocery delivery places is kind of got to be a little wild right now. Is that true? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I know we talked about it in a previous show where there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the grocery space. Uh, it's definitely been busier than usual and also i mean given like the huge surges as a developer and engineer too it's become a little more interesting and i think that's one of the topics we want to talk about today right yeah i think that's i mean when you have a, a company like instacart uh where you're basically you guys are a, a tremendous essential service i mean it's you're you guys are so popular right now that i can't nobody in my my local area can even get a delivery time and that's not a, a ding on instacart it's just how popular it is right now because it's so hard to do which means the load on your guys's systems has to be phenomenal and what anytime you encounter a significant load in your systems you're going to encounter downtime and how you handle that downtime uh, and each organization can be life or death for the company. So that's something that we wanted to talk about today is, is kind of, you know, how do you guys handle that? And, and moreover, really, like, let's talk about the on-call strategy that you have and, and what is on-call and, and what are some of the methods that are used to help manage uh, scenarios when, when incidents pop up? I, I will caveat it to begin with. There's like different on-call strategies. For example, if you're a mobile engineer, your on-call strategy is a little different. If you're like a back-end engineer, your on-call strategy is a little different. Typically, back-end people... Uh, especially like during times now, they're the ones that get really hammered because, you know, the scale and like trying to make sure that you can like scale up pretty quickly. Uh, but also like uh, there's definitely on-call rotations, at least that we have here at Insecure also for, you know, mobile uh, folks. What, 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 what kind of things would kick off like a mobile, like, well, I guess let me ask you a question. Like when would someone in a situation of your position or team uh, be required uh, for something that's on call? Like what would be a scenario where like you would might need to get paged or whatever? Oh, absolutely. Um, but before that, maybe we should, I'm guessing most people have a sense, but we should talk about what on-call Oh, is. yes, yes. Yeah, You're right. right. Go ahead, please. Uh, I think it comes from like a medical term. Now, obviously, I don't want to like make what we sound do that much more grandiose. Like the medical folks, they did, you know, 
that is a very different ball game and i have nothing but the utmost respect there but i think it comes from that time where like as doctors you're given like a pager right and you're when uh, to say that you're on call means that at any point of time if something goes terribly wrong like you have a patient or someone comes into the er or you have like a problem where uh, you know they need immediate help and of like very specific expertise then typically those people tend to go on call right which means like if you're a doctor you could be out and about because you obviously can't spend the rest of your life you know sitting at the hospital like <laughs> waiting for these cases but typically what would happen is if someone like if yeah an urgent case comes in and they need like the expertise of a specific person then they page this person right and in, i think in the olden like days you'd have a more like you know and if you see some of the i think maybe even like currently most doctors use the same thing they have like pagers and then they get paged and then you, you immediately they know okay something is wrong and they respond right yeah exactly uh, yeah so i think that's where like it starts it's a similar sort of situation uh for us where if something goes wrong like either like with the mobile apps or the background uh or the backend services and you know say the website is down or say someone's trying to place an order like you know for an online order and they can't uh there's a really critical bug that was introduced that basically caused i don't know shoppers to not to get blocked on a certain step typically what happens is an engineer is paged uh so that this person can come and like respond and try to do something typically with mobile apps it's a li- and this is what i meant initially by having different strategies with mobile apps uh it's a little tricky because you can't push updates right away right like you know you have to like yeah. sign the app put it mm-hmm. up on the play store get it approved have it like roll out so a different strategy we use is typically we are very defensive with all the code that goes for mobile so we put everything behind feature flags and you know if you know something rolled out that has like a problem we'll flip the flag so that it takes you to the other path and then immediately push out a fix you know hot fix so that uh, future users sort of are able to handle this so i i i touched on like a whole bunch of places where like you know like different things but but yeah can you ask your specific questions now maybe does yeah, that make yeah. sense yeah yeah so it's um I'll get back to the question here just in a second, but just so folks that are listening of wondering like what what are we going to get out of the episode? I think what we're trying to cover here in today's episode is basically what is on call, which you've already talked about, kind of the strategies, maybe some procedures, like how to operate a successful on call, uh, perhaps some tools that are used, uh, and then perhaps we'll share some resources at the end uh, where you can kind of learn more about maybe adopting or man or managing an on call strategy for you and your team. Does that sound uh, sound about right? That sounds perfect. Let's do it. Cool. So I'm going to loop back. The question that I had before was, um, like you said, there's different scenarios for backend folks and for for client engineers, meaning Android, iOS, et cetera, um, they're, you know, due to release cycles of the applications, uh, some things are kind of almost out of our control. And at what point uh, do you guys have a rule of thumb Um do you get paged for a particular incident? Is it a number of crashes go up? Is it a number? Is it a slow API response time? Is it um, the app is just not working, uh, but it's not crashing? What are kind of those metrics that you're following? And it's going to be different for every company, but for you guys, what are some of the metrics you're following to help determine, all right, we need to page Kaushik or whoever's on call uh, to go investigate this issue? Yeah, that's like a great question. So, typically what happens is uh, and as you mentioned there's different strategies and i think different companies would adopt different strategies i can tell you what at least we've followed so far so there are like different kinds of errors one is and we actually and i'll i'll go with specific services because it makes more sense when we talk about it with the specific services okay. there's if uh, most people use crashlytics and firebase and if you use firebase or crashlytics they have these thing called velocity alerts right so velocity alerts is if for some reason they see a sudden spike of uh, crashes right like if if you see like a hundred non fatal errors or or 1000 non fatal errors in the last one minute or you see like a hundred crashes now any app will always have crashes and non fatal errors right at least in my experience i've very rarely worked at a company that has zero crashes or zero non fatal errors that's yeah. just like you know the life that we we live in but that being said if there's a sudden spike like in the last one minute if i see like a thousand or like a hundred thousand or fifty thousand or whatever your metric is of a specific error something is wrong you know something is off base and 
Crashlytics does a good job of uh, tracking these velocity alerts, and usually they send emails, and you can like register for this if you use Firebase. It comes for free. Mm-hmm. And you're also saying Firebase and Crashlytics; those are synonymous terms, meaning the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sorry, yeah, I'm just like using them interchangeably right now. So with Firebase, I mean like the Crashlytics portion of Firebase. Yeah, the crash reporting component, right? Exactly. Uh, so that. Yeah, so that that's one aspect. So that's one thing that can page us, like if something goes wrong. We also have a very similar thing with uh, Rollbar. Mm-hmm. And I actually like Rollbar a lot because Rollbar, and we've talked about them, a previous sponsor of the show. Yeah, you know, full yeah, full disclosure. Uh, the thing with Rollbar is you can control very specifically how many errors you want. So for example, if I want to say, if I, I see like warnings or like what warnings are like non-fatal errors uh, for us, if I see a thousand warnings in the last five minutes of, uh, you, you know, then page me. You can set based on time and priority. So you can say, if you get, you now warnings are non-fatal, right? So I want like a higher count of those in a shorter span of time. But if I have like a crash, then I want to say, well, I'm not going to wait for like thousand. Even if it's a hundred crashes that happen in the last, you know, ten seconds or one minute, then I want to know about that too. Uh, so you can say, and like, Rollbar is super customizable with this. That's so that's like one strategy of uh, the, one strategy of errors that we can get paged on, and these are like the most useful ones because this basically like directly points towards something going wrong uh, in the app system systemically. With Rollbar, you can also log, uh, they have a different priority called critical. And so what happens is there are certain code paths in our application where we actually log a critical. And we were like, this is super wrong. Yeah, I can give an example. There was once uh, when we were building our offline mode, uh, when we were building our offline mode capabilities in the app, uh, there was a certain code path where we're like, if the shopper gets into this state, yeah. all their data is on the phone. And for some reason, the server is not responding, right? Like basically the server is refusing to take this request and it's a queue of requests. This request is blocked. Yep. You can send it up to the server. If that happens, that is a problem, right? Because then the shoppers uh, or like, you know, I, I say shopper, but whatever, like the user of the app is for sure blocked. At that point, they cannot proceed. We have this queue of requests. This request is blocked. Something needs to be done, right? Okay. But in the early days when we were building our offline mode functionality, we wanted to know of these things because we didn't even know what to expect, right? Because in theory, all of this should be working. Like, Why would the server not respond? Why would the queue be blocked? We wouldn't know mm-hmm. these things. So in that case, we're like, we want to hear immediately about these things because it's critical. And these we don't want any of because one user or one shopper blocked is like too critical a problem for us, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was like another group of, and we used Rollbar for this because in the code path, we would log a critical Rollbar. And again, Rollbar has a very nice integration where you can basically say even one of these, like page the on-call engineer. And when I say page the on-call engineer, we should probably step in, like talk about this too. It would integrate with another uh, on-call service. And these on-call services are the ones that actually reach out to. Which ones do you, do you typically use? There's two really popular ones. The first one is... Uh, Pager duty, and that's the one yeah. I liked a lot, and we've used that in the past. Uh, Pager duty is just like a very good app, and it does exactly the same. You can register like a phone number, you can register like an, a rotation, saying like because the other thing with on call is you can't just have one person be on call like constantly, right? Because yeah, a that's probably not healthy for that person, and it's also like really difficult, right? Because you can get paged all sorts of times. If, for example, the other thing we didn't talk about is like if you have users across different time zones, sometimes all of this happens. You know, if I'm in the West Coast, it can happen in the East Coast time, right? Or it can happen like in a different like if you have your app work in different countries, you can get paged at one or two in the morning. So it isn't feasible to like be on call for like more than a week. Yeah. And these services do a very good job of having nice integration saying, okay, give me the list of people who are going to be on call. And then they'll put them in a fair rotation. So every week you can basically, uh, one person is uh, moved on call. It'll like rotate. You can have overrides. It, you can provide your phone number. You can say, okay, send me a push notification, send me an email. You can customize saying, send me uh, a push notification 
and an email first. If I don't respond in five minutes, then actually call me directly on the phone. If that doesn't happen, then bubble it up to everyone who's on call because this person's probably sleeping or just missed the page or their phone died or something and they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, PagerDuty is a very good one. We currently use, Atlassian also has this one called Ops Genie. Okay. Uh, that's the one we currently use. No specific reason. I, I don't know. It's just like what the company uses, so we switched as well. Uh, these are the mo- the two popular ones, but PagerDuty is the one I would recommend. If you ask me, like, oh, which one would you recommend? I would definitely s- stick to PagerDuty for now. Yeah, I think that's kind of the industry standard has been PagerDuty for, I mean, for a very long time. And it's been around for such a long time that there's a ton of integrations that are built in and so much, you know, there's so many resources out there if you need to build a custom one or whatever. Uh, it's, but I'd be surprised if it's not built into any of the platforms that, uh, that you want to integrate with already. Right, right. Have uh, what are your thoughts on like on call rotation? I'm sure you must have seen like, or you must have like been in like rotations yourself, right? In the past, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts around like how this thing works and like what have you observed? So, on call, um, my experience with it, I have been on call for various different organizations, um, and very similar to you, there's some type of rotation that has to be defined. This is different at different levels of, of your organization. If you're a startup and you have five people that work at the startup, you're most likely going to have uh, an on call rotation that's probably everybody all hands on deck. Uh, when things are going wrong because it's critical to the business. You're so small at that point in time. However, as your business starts to grow, um, you'll start finding that your on-call rotations, which I think this is just the rotation component of it, uh, meaning the schedule, kind of gets... uh, to be a little bit differently and depends on how um, critical your system is. You might be on on rotation for a week um, and then you might have a week off. And so I've seen and been part of uh, rotations where it was, you know, one day, three days, five days, seven days. Um, and it just, again, depends on the size of the team. And as your team starts to get larger, larger and more international, you start having, uh, overlapping on calls for, if you have that luxury of, all right, Don's on, on call from, you know, 8am to 5pm Eastern time. And then it rotates to somebody over in our Romanian team for, for those hours. Uh, and then someone over on the West coast team, basically, so you have full global coverage and no one has to worry about waking up at two o'clock in the morning. Now that's a benefit of a very large, large team. Um, so it kind of depends on, on what team you have. Um, so that's kind of the, the rotations, uh, that I've been a part of, but for the most part, the majority of my career has been very small startups. So kind of all hands on deck, uh, where we get, you know, very similar to you, someone will get paged. If it doesn't, it gets escalated to a phone call, then to the team, et cetera. And all those rules can be defined inside of your, uh, your, your, your paging platform. Um, I think the, the big thing that folks just have to to for realize for being on calls, you have to realize what things are going to to send you into on call. And again, that's going to vary per company. But I think definitely, like you have the velocity alerts for from Firebase. That's a fantastic, fantastic thing to have right out of the gate. That's going to give you a good bang for your buck. Is there anything else that you would notice on a on a mobile platform side that would give people bang for their buck other than like some velocity alerts or anything like that? Do you track response times or anything of that nature, or is it more custom? Uh, the response times and stuff, we have like dashboard monitors, which also like, have, yeah, those are alerts, but we don't page engineers for that because typically the, the trouble is you can get into the mode of wanting to page an engineer for everything. <laughs> and that sounds great in theory before, <laughs> like just to keep the app, uh, like, you know, stable. But when you're on call, it is not fun. No. You know, say something like 1 a.m. in the morning, you get paged because you know what? Oh, we noticed that the app is taking 10 more milliseconds than usual. Uh, it is important and like, you know, you should have monitors for that, but you shouldn't be paging people for that, right? So I think it's also like a delicate balance between what you want to page people for and what you have. Uh, I don't necessarily think I have anything else to add. Those are the big ones. And usually those are the, for mobile engineers, that's the one that matters the most. Uh, There are like obviously business metrics too, right? For example, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a warning or a crash. Uh, What's an example? Say if like, you know, typically we, the, oh yeah, here's an example of an alert, right? Like say typically we would expect at least 100 signups for your service, like, you know, for big companies, for big services. If you think about, you know, a service like Facebook or Twitter, if I imagine every single second or like every minute or like heck every single second, they have at least a bunch of signups, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. People like creating accounts. 
if you start to notice that nobody has created an account for the last five minutes or two minutes, like in a place like to Facebook or Twitter, that is a problem, mm-hmm. right? That is a businessman. So maybe there isn't a crash. Maybe there isn't a warning. Things are fine. But something happened where like, you know, maybe something that you haven't been able to catch has happened that users are not able to sign up. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a common case we see is like sometimes we catch the error and we surface a dialogue, right? Uh, and these typically are like non-fatal errors. So we're like, uh, it is possible for the user to recover. But, you know, if you start to notice that that's becoming a problem and users are no longer signing up, you want to pay someone, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the kind of things I would add. So there is like... Uh, yeah, there's like also business metrics where you could page people. That makes sense. So that make You know, we've talked about what on-call is, kind of how we get to the point where, you know, we're being paged. Let's talk a little bit about the the process of like basically what happens after that pager goes off. You know, there's going to be some steps involved. Uh, and I have a, a list of five steps here that that are kind of uh, kind of common across the industry and I'll kind of walk through them and um, if there's any difference or whatever or anything to add, then we can kind of sprinkle it in here. Um, but usually when, in my experience, when that pager kind of goes off, what I've kind of noticed is businesses will go into a, you know, if you have, if again, this is important, if you don't have any type of uh, on-call strategy or anything like that, uh, this might be somewhere where you can kind of take some notes here. Um, the first thing that happens is you got to triage what's what's going on. So the page comes in, all right, what is the problem? Are we getting crashes? Is like you said, are are the login rates affected? Are the signup rates affected? What's going on? Why did we get the page? That's kind of step one, identifying what's going on. So you're basically triaging, you know, the situation of what happened. Step two, um, you kind of get into like a coordination phase of like, all right, we realize what's happened. I mean, perhaps, you know, we got some crashes. Now we kind of need to coordinate what's going on. Maybe uh, is this happening from the back end? Is this happening from uh, the front end? Is it an update? Is it a feature flag that was flipped? It, what was going on? Let's kind of get all the, the people on board with the situation. So that's kind of coordination of what's, you know, what happened after we figured out what it was. So we can kind of figure out what we need to do to fix it. Then we kind of get to like step three. Step three is like a mitigation phase. So step three, mitigate it. And now mitigation is not mean actually going through and actually fixing the, 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 this, the problem and then shipping out a fix and all that kind of stuff. Mitigation will often mean like, all right, what can we do to mitigate these errors? Is there a bandaid we can apply real fast to kind of get us back on track so we can kind of come back and do this, fix this correctly. Now, again, that might just be realizing, oh, we flipped a feature flag somewhere. Let's flip that off. Or, hey, there's another way we can solve this. Just throw this quick little hack in there to get this thing running again. Uh, and so we can kind of mitigate the problem and, you know, prevent the company from bleeding a ton of money or, you know, get the signups working or something like that. Um, step four, we get at that point after it's been mitigated and things are kind of like calmed down, you get into uh, the resolve phase. So we're going to re- actually resolve this, the actual root problem. Now that could be a fix to the app. We realize, oh, we were not accounting for this value to be null and it's crashing the app in this situation. So they hacked it on the back end real fast, but let's go ahead and fix it finally on the front end. Or maybe it was some other thing. At that point, you actually implement the resolution for it and maybe ship a new app update or you fix the back end or whatever the the situation is and you fix it the right way. And finally, you kind of full on like, wrap this up and I'm going through this very quickly so we can discuss this. But the, the last thing is, is follow-up. And that's usually going to be a lot of post-mortems of like where you kind of get together and you've seen a lot of companies do this. They'll say, Hey, GitHub was down for four days or, you know, four hours, whatever it is. And people are freaking out and they come back, say, all right, here's the post-mortem. Here's what here happened. And they kind of walk everybody through the, the steps. We realized the problem at this time. We got together our engineers as coordination. We then mitigated the risk by implementing, you know, you know, flushing our load balancers, whatever uh, was our mitigation. Then we came back and we fixed it because it was a code problem that we'd never saw before. And we wrote some tests to make sure it never gonna happen again. And number five is they're kind of doing that post-mortem. A lot of times these will be done behind closed doors. You don't have to be public about it if your company doesn't want to. But those are kind of the steps. And just to rehash, just so folks are uh, familiar with them, I got number one, triage. Number two, coordinate. Number three, we're going to mitigate. Number four, resolve. And number five, going to do a follow-up slash post-mortem. Um, again, it's going to be different for every company. That's kind of a generic strategy that uh, a lot of successful companies have implemented uh, out there. Have you... Uh, what are your thoughts on on those five steps that I've uh, I've laid out? Is it something you've used? Are you guys different or anything like that? I wish I knew about the five steps before. 
the strategy we arrived at is very similar to this, but it was an organic one through multiple trials and error. But yeah, I think the strategy you mentioned, triage, coordinate, mitigate, uh, resolve, resolve, and follow. Up. Follow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the follow up. Yeah, that makes sense. Typically, also like with postmortem, like this is with big engineering companies and terrible acronyms uh, people <laughs> should know what rcas are which is like a root can a root cause analysis document yeah uh, that's the one you typically sort of yeah you do the postmortem and i love like those steps because it makes so much sense you would, if you've never been on call or you've never had to deal with any of this those steps might seem excessive you're like oh my god okay some uh, you know some software engineering nerd came up with the steps they wrote it into you know an agile book and like now everyone says that's the way to follow no there's like definitely value in each of these steps right mm -hmm. uh for example like the one that pops into mind and maybe we can talk about this is like the mitigate right yeah it is so crucial that you just stop the problem right now stop the bleeding stop the bleeding right like if you're a doctor and like someone's bleeding i mean heck i've seen like cases where they staple the skin too right yeah. like you know they you just need to stop the blood loss and that's the same thing it doesn't matter if you come up with an elegant beautiful fix that will never cause this problem and you have to write your test when you're being paged and something is wrong do whatever is necessary if that's like throwing in a back end hack to like just stop you just do whatever is necessary to basically stop the problem Right? Yes. Uh, and then the resolve obviously makes sense where you're like, okay, now you got, you've got you bought yourself a little more time. Think about how you can fix this in a way where it won't happen again. Yeah. And follow-up is basically how do you prevent such class or kinds of errors from never happening again? So there's like value in each of these steps, right? Uh, it isn't like any one step is not enough because say you don't do the follow-up and you don't like think about how you can stop this in the future, you're going to like just rinse and repeat the same cycle again the next time it comes, right? Yeah. And that's you in an ideal world an on-call engineer is never paged that's the happy path right like you you never want them to like be paged uh in an ideal world mm -hmm. if you're constantly paged multiple times then it's in indicative of either a a very noisy paging system or b your systems are just not like you know stable and you need to like spend time you need and accordingly it'll also help you focus on which aspects of the step you're to like uh, spend time on right if it's a one-off that you don't ever expect to happen again because it's like this weird one-time product flow that you tried you don't need to bother about it right mm -hmm. because that's not going to happen again but if it's something that you're seeing systemically and also having these documents uh helps you know like future on-call engineers that's the other aspect right like if you note down like these things in a more systematic manner and then you have these documents to share maybe a future on-call engineer when they see an error they're like oh my god has anyone seen this before and then a previous on-call engineer is like yeah yeah i remember seeing this some time back you can pull up your notes search your notes and see what we did to like coordinate and mitigate right mm -hmm. uh, because that's the other problem when you're paged it is a very high stress situation like you don't have the luxury of time and critical thinking right yeah at that point very few people have the nerve to be able to like say okay you know what i got this i'm going to like systematically think through this uh, so you having these tools to aid in that process is really beneficial you want as much help as you can uh so that was the thing and one last point that i want to bring up with what you said is i also think it's important like many people fear on call because they're like oh my god what if i don't know how to like deal with this that isn't the problem at all right you will learn in like you will learn over time how to handle these things but your duty as like the person on call is to find the right sources so you know if something goes wrong and you're like I know something is wrong here and you know Don is the expert in this area maybe I should ping him and ask him like what's up like cuz I don't know what to do with this right that's totally fine uh the the role of the on call person is to like it's in again like the triaging right is this a super critical thing is this something that I have to wake my other engineer up at 2 a.m. or is this bad but not bad enough and can it wait you know for a few hours until like they wake up i think the each of these stages is so important right like the triaging like understanding like how critical an error it is and what the error is like you said right like what is happening yeah there's so much of it and the, i was going to ask you too do you folks have uh, anything known like what's like an incident commander oh yeah for sure <laughs> that's something we started recently with more like leaders coming into our like org uh, and this is common i think like with much with much bigger organizations for example sometimes when it's so an what all is, hands what on, is it a commander is when I'm trying to find an analogy that works. There's a dangerous, uh, you know, like these all sound like, you know, oh my God, 
emergency room doctors and like wards <laughs> but like they, they're yeah, the ones yeah. that make the most sense uh like you you want a general right like when if something is going wrong if different people have different strategies right and you're like person a is like oh yeah i think we should do this person b is like oh i think we should do this and person c is saying we should do something else altogether differently and they do each thing differently then actually it can cause more problems than yeah, like than it helping right so it's always helpful to have a commander yeah. and this is usually someone who, like probably the person who got paged if uh, you know mm-hmm. typically that's the person who like uh, takes up the role of a commander or there's someone who understands the system really well who can take on that role right uh, a commander basically says okay where are we right now how do we find like uh, what is the first step we have to do okay you know uh, we've we've noticed that signups have gone down so what do we do like let's look if is something broken in the dashboard can you, uh, you know, and then the commander is like okay uh, who wrote this dashboard okay person a can you go and like take a look and see that like you know maybe the graph is just broken like nothing is fine everything is fine just our monitors are broken can you go and check that and then like you know the the next step could be person b we also monitor this in like a different like you know through a different service can you make sure that that service isn't showing something going down uh, so this commander is basically trying to step through each of the steps and delegates uh, who per- like who can take care of each thing that's a commander now a scribe is typically someone whose sole role is to like keep a track of what's going and just regularly post status updates right and you don't want these roles intermingled because when a commander if a commander has to like type out notes and post statuses and find people to coordinate and like do all of these things something is going to give right like uh, typically that lands up being a problem so you want independent roles for this you want someone who's only commanding and someone who's only job and this and this is where you can rope in other people who are not necessarily as well versed with the system but are like following what's going on right so that way they can regularly post status updates saying we we assume this is the hypothesis is x is broken person a is like looking into x uh, other ideas are this other ideas being proposed so the, let, me, and, let me interrupt yeah. here and so yeah, yeah, you yeah. could let's say you're the incident commander right and not, maybe I'm the new guy on the team and um, I'm not familiar with the system but you kind of have all those things down like I could all I could at that point given this incident uh, you could be the incident commander you, again your role is actually an engineer developer or whatever but but in this incident as it popped up you're the incident commander and maybe i'm also an engineer but at this point in time given the situation i'm the scribe and maybe i'm going to be the one that's going to be documenting all this stuff while you're kind of just like you know doing all the other stuff would that be a fair assessment could that happen a hundred percent a hundred percent that like that makes perfect sense right and also like it isn't just engineers like we very often have leads and we have like other like leaders who are like who no longer code uh who also are commanders because they just understand the system really well right so uh and these could be yeah like you know many times if there's like big incidents we have like our like vice presidents our leaders like all of them step in and everyone anyone can be a commander there isn't like oh only this person has to be a commander so well, i know that some companies for this the scribe uh type of position they will document all that stuff in, in a known location some people will just will document everything in the original jira ticket and they'll just have all the communication in there for historical purposes other companies use it somewhere else what uh what has been your uh procedure that you've kind of followed for your team so what we do is we uh typically we use slack for a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. so we open a slack channel for every incident and the scribe basically just posts messages in slack you know they they keep consolidating it so every i think it's every 5 minutes or something every 5 minutes or every 2 minutes uh they post an update and it's a consolidation of all their notes so typically what i would do uh, say if i was a scribe right is i'll have like a notepad or like you know a markdown note or something where i'm like jotting down all these notes and i'll regularly copy paste all of it to the channel so and the idea here is basically if someone is joining in say like we're doing the diagnosis and then we're like oh person x is who we should reach out to right who doesn't have con- context they're not on call they've like they don't have any idea of what's happening you can just like rope them in and say hey do x or do y right yeah. uh-huh. uh, so typically what happens is you ping that person invite them to the channel and then without them having to like ask oh what is this oh like you know uh, why do we think this have you checked a have you checked b have you checked option 1 have you checked option 2 you don't want to run through that entire process for every single person who's jumping onto the channel to help right so that's where this becomes really helpful 
Now what they can do is they can literally look at the notes that the scribe has posted, the latest update, and then quickly go through, okay, they tried this, that didn't work, they tried this, that seems to help it a little, but it's still not solved, we're still seeing this, that helped it for like iOS, but not for Android, so what happened? Those are the kind of things that are really helpful in making this like a systematic procedure, right? Where you have notes being written constantly. And we typically just post these in Slack. And after the incident is completely resolved, we just copy that entire last snippet and then use that in our RCA document. So that just gives people an understanding of what happened. What have you, yeah, what what have you used in the past? Have you used something like this or? Yeah, so Slack has been a, been a common tool, uh, of course, for real-time communication. That's very common. Um, I've also seen companies just use, like I said before, uh, the one very common one I've seen is the real-time communication might happen in Slack, but then like updates where maybe upper management wants to kind of really see what's going on without knowing the fine-grained details will have perhaps like a ticket inside of, of whatever ticketing system, Jira, and inside of there, comments will be posted by the scribe or whoever's in charge of that saying, all right, here's what we found. We know that there's a issue on the back end with this data model and it's causing this problem on Android, but not iOS. And then there'll be responsible every few minutes to update that. And then if there's any pertinent details that need to be added by a particular engineer or division, they can hop into that ticket and communicate in there. It's not real-time communication. It's just very pertinent information that's related to that actual situation then at that point in time when we're finally able to to do the whole follow-up we can come back to that ticket and to actually kind of see it from top to bottom like all right cool here's all the pertinent information without the finer green details of chat involved and now there may actually be links inside of there where we say all right determine situation is because of uh data model in android whatever and then we'll put a link into uh, maybe the Jira ticket that points directly to the, where that conversation was happening in Slack. So if we want to ever go open it, we can go take a look at it, you know, and see the fine grained details over there. Um, so very similar thing. Uh, I think it's just you're going to use what you're going to use um, to kind of keep track of that stuff as it's going on. Now, let me ask you this. Um, when the page comes in, is it usually for your folks, is it the incident commander that's going to get the page or is it actually an engineer who's going to get that page and then escalate it to an incident commander to kind of open up an incident? Typically we have like for us, it's mostly engineers who are uh, on call. So they're the ones that get paged and they they can escalate it to like in, like anyone else who takes up the role of a commander or sometimes they just function as the commander themselves. So. That's, that's a good point. And I think there's there's been other companies out there and I, I know that uh, I'd read somewhere that Datadog did this is what they do is whoever is secondary on call for that shift. So say I'm secondary, um, you're the one that finds it immediately. I become the commander. Whoever is secondary always becomes commander. Now that's kind of like a collective code ownership thing of like, you expect everyone to kind of have that ability and kind of forces people to take some ownership and it's not something every company can do, but I know some some companies do that. Um, but now let's go back to the original question of when you get paged, um, I know that there are some companies that I've seen this happen where they follow an incident guide immediately in large companies as this happens uh something happens i get paged i need to look at an incident guide that kind of walks me through a bunch of steps almost like a, an if else branch of, of mm. the various steps to determine all right do i need to escalate this or not do you folks do anything like that we do uh just one quick follow-up question before we get into that right yeah. uh there's also like we've talked about communicating inside the organization there's also the aspect of sometimes you know there are like support staff or like yes. other people who need to know and like the point you mentioned like made a lot of sense to me because there's some people just want high level stuff right is the app broken or not yeah <laughs> you know like they don't care about a specific service and like one aws instance going down that's causing just one like zone like level users they don't care about all that stuff all they care about is there's a problem you know there's a problem we are going to anticipate a lot of like tickets coming in now because users are going to report this we know there's an incident we can tell them hey there's an incident we are aware of it and we're investigating right uh there are services that also do this i've used this one i think called statuspage.io Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's a very similar thing where basically you can put high-level snippets, and the idea is it's another service that uh, I think like even GitHub and other people use this, right? So yeah, if if you ever notice that Twitter is down or like get, like you know one of these uh, like GitHub is down, typically they have like an ex like a, an external-facing status page that says, okay, we know what's happening, right? And so part of the role is also updating that so that externally people are communicating so that people don't come and like ping you one-on-one and say, hey, is there a problem? We're noticing this. 
uh, they can also just look at the status page. Okay, it looks like there's a problem. I'm not going to bug them. They know that this is happening. Right? Yeah, the, so, the two biggest ones are going to be statuspage.io and status.io. If you're looking for one and you don't have one of those pages, check out either one of those. I personally use status.io, but many companies, I think I think Twitter uses status.io. But again, they're, they're two big companies. Um, choose which one you like best. Uh, going back to your question, it was a good one. Uh, oh, by the way, Datadog. I love Datadog. We started using Datadog. Oh, it's yeah. such a good service. Uh, another show we'll talk about, you know, Datadog in general, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, go, uh, going back to your question, uh, let me rephrase your question and see if I got it right, if I remember it correctly. You're saying, do you have like an incident guide that you follow typically? We do, and I will say we have different guides. For example, if it's a mobile application that's getting paged, like the way we do it is a little different because there's different steps to look at. Uh, so we do have different guides. Uh, this guide is basically something we've just built over time. Like I've been there for about four years now. So like over the four years, I've just built a guide that's worked for us. It isn't anything specific. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are because this one is just something that has worked, but it isn't as like scientific or like there isn't, it was just organically built. Have you followed like any specific guides or have you noticed any guides on the internet that talk about how you can address this in a more systematic way? I haven't um I'm sure there's something out there that exists. I haven't seen any that you can just go and start adopting and using. Uh, I think each company is independently different enough where you kind of have to have your own set of rules and guidelines. Um, and for my experience, it's always been some type of, you know, very, you want to go very grassroots. It's, you know, it's a Google doc. It's, it's one of these documents where you kind of just follow down the branch. All right. Is it X? No, go to B. And it's kind of just sets up these steps. I know companies like, um, I think it's Dropbox, if I remember correctly, has a very, um, in-depth internal tool they've built for, uh, for incidents. And when it happens, they start, they run through this tool to help guide them into the proper course of action. Nice, nice, nice. Tooling is such an important aspect in all of this too, right? Because mm -hmm. if you have your tooling down, uh, it just makes a lot of things easier. For example, we have this thing in Slack where you can type an incident command and maybe it's like an integration that exists already. I don't know if we wrote this or it was something that's there. You can type this command and it'll automatically open an incident channel with today's date and it'll throw a bunch of links that are usually very helpful. They're like, okay, this is the role of uh, a commander. This is the role of a scribe. Uh, you know, it'll prompt to ask like, okay, who's the incident? Who, who's the commander? Who's that's the cool. scribe? Yeah. And then, so you can just type that and boom, you're in and then immediately you can look at it and then you can update. If you update statuses in the Slack channel, it'll automatically ping services and make sure that everything gets updated. So there's like a single point of contact, right? It'll automatically generate a document and there's like, uh, tooling really helps in these kind of situations. Yeah. That's powerful. I wonder if that's a built. I would love to find out if that's command. We'll have to take a look if there's if that's a, yeah. something default. That's really cool. Yeah, I can take a look at it. I, yeah, it's just like a lot of those things help, especially during incidents when the last thing you want to do is like open up different things. I actually have some couple of scripts too that I've written myself, uh, and these are like I've talked about this. I've I use Keyboard Maestro a lot, uh, and so when I'm on call, typically if I notice something wrong, I run a script and it'll automatically open a new Firefox window and a bunch of tabs with all my typical dashboards. Uh, and you know it can be as simple as just like a, a, a bookmark or something. You know you can have like a bunch of bookmarks that you can just open up in one shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do have like some specific things too. For example. Some of these services you have to log in with uh, authentication tokens because obviously you can't just like view it directly. So my script takes care of like some of that stuff. Uh, and sometimes like as I'm investigating an incident, uh, typically if I have a user ID and I want to like ping all the services to see what all logs we have on this, because obviously you know I there isn't one service that will give you the whole story, right? Like yeah. for various reasons, you need to ping and find different things. So I actually have another script where. Uh, keyboard maestro script where it'll prompt for a user id or something and then it'll automatically open up a bunch of tabs with that specific id right so that's like, cool if datadog has like a specific format that it wants the id to be entered in it'll do that in rollbar there's like this really useless thing where it only like the search it only takes in like a user id in a specific format uh you know using their rql format or something mm -hmm. so it'll open up a tab with that pre-populated and run the query so i can just like type this one thing with the id and you know, as I'm doing other things, it'll open up all the necessary tabs in my window and then I can go back and then quickly just go through each of these things, right? Uh, so yeah, the tooling is key here. Uh, so I completely agree. 
uh, I think again, it's it's we've said this a lot. It's different for each company, but if you can get some good tooling down, especially those script sounds cool. I want to, I want to, I got to play around more with Keyboard Maestro. But that's another topic. Um, before we get going, though, though, I wanted to bring up one one more thing here, and that's um, the thought process and um, the idea of team culture and on call being on call i think it's important that that this have uh, some importance applied to it across the board because you know if you're on call if depends anytime if you're on call uh, like you said the stress level goes up um and i think that needs to be recognized especially if for some reason you get paged at you know 2 45 in the morning and you're up till 7 45 in the morning uh the culture of the company should be reflected in my opinion that uh that they understand like hey you know Kaushik's not going to be in this morning or he won't be in until this afternoon because you know he was on call last night and he was up for five or six hours and that is what it is and you know, hey you need to get some sleep you need to catch up it's it's not you know you shouldn't be killing yourself over this um and i think the culture needs to reflect that have you what is your thoughts on that yeah you're hitting each of these points perfectly like you know you have like got these things down it's almost like it sounds you've gone through this and set it up for other companies <laughs> <laughs> it's it is so critical to like be empathetic towards this situation right and it goes both ways one is you can't uh, so we have this uh, we have this sort of unwritten rule where typically any new engineer who's been working with us for about a month eventually has, gets entered into the on-call rotation, right? The, you know, uh, if they're of a certain like level of seniority, like you don't have a choice, right? You can't put an undue burden on just a few uh, folks or a few engineers and expect them to always be on-call, right? And so that's part of like being like part of the team, right? Like if you're in the team and, you know, we make sure that we encourage different people, we give them the necessary tools to like make sure they can get up and running. But if you join and you've been here for a month, you definitely are going to like get included into the on-call rotation. Right. And you're right. Like with the on-call, it's a high stress situation. Sometimes you have to address it at 2 AM. You like have to address things and then you like, you know, then you try to go back to sleep. You can sleep or like, you know, it's a different thing altogether. It's very important to be empathetic towards people who are like on call so that they can do a better job. Right. Cause what they're doing is critical anyway to your system. And we, uh, it is, we don't have a written rule per se, but it is sort of a de facto, like a de facto thing. And maybe like, you know, it's, it makes sense. It should be like formalized. But for us, if you're on call, typically we don't expect you to be writing features or like pumping like output, right? Or if there's like a super critical feature that you need to get done this week, we also are very good about like making sure that other people can take up, we can override your on-call schedule, right? We can say, hey, you know what? Don has been like working his butt off for the last one week on this feature. This next week, if he goes on call, he's going to burn out, right? So you know what? It's fine. I'll continue and I'll take your on-call rotation it's totally fine so we can write uh and a lot of like page duty obstiny they have overrides so we can say okay you know what i'll take your next on-call rotation uh and so then they can get a, a a break right or if they've been on call for like one week we're like you know what you were uh, on call and it was a really bad week like it was really noisy uh if you're on call again for the second week you know what how about we relieve the system and i'll help uh, you take on call and a lot of our leads our engineering leads they're also very conscious like if someone's been on call overnight the next day they don't come in and say why didn't you come to the stand-up meeting <laughs> you know yeah. uh, the stand-ups at 10 a.m you should be here at 10 a.m uh, people don't do that like we're very strict about giving like people who are on call uh the leeway they need so that they can do their job as the on-call person well uh yeah so i, th- I think the key word there is empathy right right uh what have you observed in this like because it sounded like yeah you've thought about this like do you have anything else to add like in terms of how you can help uh people who are on call as such i think you actually covered it very well um and like i said the key word here is is empathy and uh, the other word i want to bring up is burnout uh, because burn- oh, burnout is real true. you mentioned that like you could be really cranking hard for a week or two on a feature and uh, i don't know about you but anytime i'm working really hard on something trying to hit a deadline when i hit that deadline like i feel like i just mentally need a break like i just need to decompress from it and if you're being thrown from one stressful environment maybe hitting a feature deadline and your next day you're you have to start uh in a one week on-call rotation like that's just like recipe for burnout. So I think having empathy to understand and recognize those things within the team um, is crucial to success for for an organization. 
Uh, what else? Anything else you feel like we should cover that we missed with respect to on-call rotations? Um, the only thing I think I can mention is that, you know, it's your, your on-call rotations and your strategies are going to change the size of the company you're at. I mean, if you're a small company with a few few employees, you know, zero to 10 or whatever, you know, you got a small little startup, uh, it's going to be different than some some company that has 10,000 employees or 1,000 employees. It's going to be way different looking. Uh, so don't expect to what to to stick with what you have right now at a very early stage that's going to work at a, at a much larger scale as your organization grows um, and, and vice versa. Maybe if you have a huge, super complex system and it's not working, uh, adjust. There is no one written rule that's going to work. Adjust and find out what, what, what works for you. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually even feel, and maybe you know, someone can chime in once they listen, but super huge companies like Twitter and Facebook, I think they have a dedicated role for this, right? Uh, they just have like support staff. I doubt like engineers. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this might be too. Like, yeah, I think it's like site reliability, reliability engineer or something. I was gonna say yeah, exactly. SREs like that's yes, a natural yes. role. But yeah, the, you yeah, site reliability engineers. I think they have people dedicated just for this. So. Yeah. 100% like you you hit it right on the nail different like you this is a very flexible thing right it's like be water you got to like just change as your company dictates this so good point there so again if you're uh, interested in getting started on this just you know think about those five steps uh to kind of just recap just for what they were if you're interested again we have triage we have coordination then we have mitigation then we have resolution or resolve, and we have follow up, and, uh, and then you know various tools that are out there. We, you know, you're gonna have PagerDuty or what's the other one, Genie, Ops Genie, Ops Genie, and mm-hmm. then you have status pages. So statuspage.io or status.io is is the other one, um, and of course Jira and any other ticketing system out there. You have Slack, uh, and uh, if you have any shortcuts that open a bunch of tabs like Kaushik has, even more the merrier. Oh yeah, one last thing I wanted to like add, I just remembered. Uh, you know, with a lot of Android and iOS phones, we have like the do not disturb mode now. Yes. That turns on automatically. Like some of these services are good about, you can add exceptions. So oh, saying nice. do not disturb, but if it comes from page duty or something, no, no, ring the phone. Don't go into silent mode. <laughs> oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, I just remembered that off the top of my head. That's very useful. If folks wanted to find out more about like on-call strategies and wanted to ping you about this stuff, where is a good place to do that? You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram and my handle is at Don Felker. So D-O-N-N-F-E-L-K-E-R. What about folks if they want to talk to you and kind of steal some of your keyboard maestro shortcuts? How can they do that? I am Kaushik Gopal, K-A-U-S-H-I-K-G-O-P-A-L on Twitter. And my website is couch.co. Or, and maybe this is something we should talk about. I added a new uh, URL and Don's face bombing now. <laughs> I can already see him. Uh, <laughs> I have this URL. It's jkl.gg. <laughs> Just go to it. JKL. <laughs> I don't even want to know right now. That's another podcast. Another episode. Thank you all for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. I'd like to take this chance and thank the sponsor for this episode, Educative.io. There are a lot of websites out there that offer programming courses, but Educative.io has a really special text-based interface that helps folks learn faster and more efficiently. Check out the very new course they have for Android developers called Modern Android App Development. If you use the special link we have here, educative.io slash fragmented then you get an additional 10% off your purchase so remember to use that special link once again it's educative.io slash fragmented thanks again for sponsoring the show that's it for the show folks fragmented is hosted by don felker and me kaushik gopal we edit and produce all the episodes here on fragmented Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.